0: Uh, I've just got a message that I just, uh, just want to share with you that I sort of felt on my heart, sort of tied into a few things that are taking place. And, um, you know, spring is in the air. And I, I've got to go back to many, many years ago. I, I can't even remember how old he was. I think he was about three or four, four. I think he was. My son, for Christmas, this is what his desire was. I want a lemon tree. An aftershave. That was what my, my four year old, three and a half, four year old son wanted for Christmas. And so we're like, okay, we can do that. So what, we went and got him a lemon tree and we bought it, and he was wrapped. And, and you might think it's w- uh, funny, but um, he drinks, he, well, he likes lemon in his soda water, sparkling water, lemonade. He likes just lemonade, lemon. And so we got him that. And of course, you know, like if you get a four year old a lemon tree, you know who's going to be looking after it. Um, Not him. (laughs) I think he watered it maybe once or twice. And I had the the joy of trying to look after this tree. Soon after that, we moved homes. And we didn't actually get a huge amount of fruit from the tree. We still haven't had a huge amount of fruit from the tree. And it's just been one of those struggles. I put it in a place and I thought, that's got enough sun. Not, Not enough sun. Then one year there was not enough water, so it didn't produce good fruit. It did, it produced little fruit. Like I don't know if you've ever seen a lemon like this big. But it was pretty pathetic. <laughs> and I was sitting there racking my brain, what on earth is this? So I put the right soil in there. So I moved it. I moved it out of the sun, then it got too dry. So I found another spot. I made sure I watered it, and I don't know if I overwatered it, but it didn't produce a lot that year. I pruned it back and it didn't get any good. I don't know, maybe I went too hard on it, I don't know. It was out near my, where, where my son plays soccer, and I think he kicked it a few times. And, um, but for the last few years, it, it hasn't really done that much, it's been a sort of a frustration. So I moved it again. Now, it's a fair-sized pot, and it's got a fair-sized weight in it. So I moved it with, with struggles, dragged it along, and put it in this spot, and it... To be honest with you, over the last year, it seems to have done quite well. It has produced more leaves, it's grown better, it's green. it's green, which is always a good sign. But then, of course, in summer, I had this annoying pest come along and decide lemon leaves are nice. I had problems with grasshoppers. I, <laughs> I lost another tree, but this, this lemon tree was being devoured, being smashed by these grasshoppers. And every day I would go out and I'd have to try and catch grasshoppers and I'd, and I'd dispose of them. But this lemon tree has been a frustration. Then I did some more research and I found, oh, there's another hint to growing citrus fruit. You need more than one. So in my true style, I never do things by half. We always go above and beyond. I went out and found some more citrus trees. So we got another two. And then I was in another shop and I said, you know what, I want more. (laughs) So I got some more. So now in this area of our house, in the backyard, I call it Citrus Corner. And there's probably about six different citrus trees and I've planted them and I've put the right soil on them and I've mulched them. I give them a good warning, good, good feed. They're right in the early days of spring, so I have great expectations. Great expectations. The other day I was walking out there, there's flowers on all of them. I saw bees. So we have pollination, and I have great expectation that we will get fruit this year. And if you don't, I will probably throw the tree out. (laughs) But every form of life on this earth has enemies. Every form of life has enemies. Insects have to watch out for hungry birds. Birds must keep out for hungry cats. Even human beings have to watch or dodge automobiles or fight off germs or viruses, as we've all found out in the last couple of years. Even steak has enemies. Steaks have to watch out for me, because I love a good steak. Suppose you should go back to cows have to watch out for me, because I don't even need to cook that much. I could literally just cut it off the cow and... Boom, But in life, just like in the environment that we live in, the ecosystem that we dwell in, there are enemies. And our enemy isn't ourselves. Oh, I suppose it could be. It's not the person next to you. It's actually what we call sin. See, we can think of our enemy as, I don't know if you want to call him Satan or the devil. And in many ways, he even might be. But the real enemy to any Christian or to any believer isn't Satan. Because the truth is, he has already been defeated. The real or true enemy to any believer or Christian is sin. Now, sin was defeated at the cross. That's the cross of Calvary when Jesus died for all of, each and every one of us. But sin can defeat us when we don't let him... Work in us. When we don't understand the cross of Calvary, when we don't understand the sacrifices of Jesus, when we don't understand the power of His Holy Spirit, when we don't understand the whole process of what's going on, even Christianity can look odd to some people. It can look weird. It can not make sense. But sometimes what needs to happen is we need to be educated. The Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures, whatever you want to call it, have existed for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They go back to some of the most earliest writings that have ever existed on this planet Earth, back to Papyrus. And in it talks about something that God is light, and that sin is darkness. And sin is anything that is against God's Word, is against God's will, what God actually wants. Sin is the transgression of the law. And as Christians, as believers, we walk in the ways of Jesus, where we're supposed to. We follow his way, his example. What Jesus showed us becomes the law that we should follow. And sin is any time we come away or break off the way that was set before us. Now, someone might even not know or understand that they walk in darkness simply because they are in darkness. Until they learn or they experience the light. Until we experience the light, until we know the light, darkness becomes familiar. If you put on a pair of glasses your whole life and they have a rose tint to them or even a colored tint to them, you will swear that everything that you look at has a pink or a blue tint to it. If I wear a white shirt on, and I wish I had a white shirt on for this example, and you wore a pair of glasses your whole life with a blue tint, you would swear that my shirt is blue. You would swear, it doesn't matter how much we had an argument, it doesn't matter how much facts or information I brought to you and said, no, no, my shirt is white, my shirt is white. You would swear black and blue, no, no, that is blue. That is blue, that is coloured, it's blue. And it's not until I come across and I reveal the the sunglasses on your face, or we're able to remove them, do you actually see, oh no, your shirt is white? See, we can be preconceived to ideas and preconceived to notions just simply by how we are taught and how we're raised. Poverty can be the same thing. We can walk in what's called a poverty mentality simply because we don't understand that there is more available to us. Today we are surrounded... By people who refer to themselves as Christians, who refer themselves as believers. But my question to you is, are you born again? Because it's easy to say you're a Christian, it's easy to say you're a believer, it's easy to say you do this, but Jesus actually talks about being born again. In fact, in John 3 verse 5 to 7, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now to understand that passage of Scripture, and sometimes that can be the greatest challenge, because we live in a Western democracy, we live in a Western world, and the Bible was actually written in a Jewish or Eastern culture. And where we can get mixed up is we look at things from a Western perspective on an Eastern culture. But what it's talking about is it's talking about two different births. One, there is a birth that we all understand, that we all go through, and that's born of water. That means I am inside my mother in a case of water, and when I am birthed or when I am born, that water breaks. And I actually proceed through the canal, obviously, right? Through the waters. That is the first birth. What Jesus is starting to talk about is being born again, which can be a weird concept, but it's like a second birth. It's being born again, and what we fully understand or where we fully it's not being immersed as being born again or going back into your mother or back through your mother. It's actually being immersed into the Spirit as a body of believers. Meaning this, I come to a place of understanding. I believe I have the faith. And I am going through a spiritual concept, not a physical one, where I am born again into the body of Christ. Into a church, into a people, into the Father. I then begin to relate to God the Father as He's been my heavenly Father rather than just an earthly Father. But it's all through the heart. It's not through religion. It's not through rules or regulations. It's through the heart. It's making that decision, coming to that point of understanding that I am in need of Him. I believe in what Jesus died for me. Therefore, I receive what He's done for me, His actions, which we'll get onto a little bit later. And I receive that and I go through the process of being spiritually born again. Romans 10, 9-10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, revol- resulting in salvation. As Christians, as believers, as people who are born again, we're actually supposed to walk in the light walk in the light of the Father, walk in His ways. We walk out, we live what we believe. And if we don't, if we don't actually walk in the ways that we're supposed to, the world is very quick to label us as hypocrites. As Christians, we become part of the body of Christ. Not literally a part of His body, I don't become a leg. I don't become an arm, but I become part of the body. And the body of Christ is actually a group of believers who believe the same thing or believe in the same direction, believe in the actions of Jesus Christ. I become part of a body. Many different parts of us making up a body, a church. It's not an individual church. It's the greater concept of the church. And we actually need to be born again into God's family because that's what actually saves us or that's what gives us the concept of being saved from the separation of God. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In John three fourteen to 15, it says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whatever believes will in him have eternal life. In John 3, 16, 21, it says, this goes straight after, it said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe in Him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of Of the only begotten Son of God, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, that men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, but does not come to the light, for the fear that his deeds will be exposed, but he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as being brought by God." As Christians, as believers, we're not in this life of perfection. We don't walk in perfection. Oh gosh, I wish I did. Because the truth is, none of us are perfect. None of us will ever earn perfection. None of us will ever be perfect or whole. But it's walking out the relationship of the Heavenly Father, learning and listening and adapting to our lifestyles. But walking actually involves progress. Because when we walk out our relationship with God, it's actually a walk of progress. We're actually supposed to move in a direction. Can you imagine that if you decide to go for a walk, so you put on all your your latest gym gear, you put on the latest Nike shoes that, you know, guaranteed you better make you run faster. You've got everything. You've got your, your little AirPods in your ears. You've got your music all primed. You're all ready to go. And you get out your front door and 15 minutes later, you're only at the letterbox. That would really be depressing. Of course, unless you lived on acreage and it literally took you 15 minutes to walk to the, to the letterbox. But that would be so disappointing that even though after all the work and all the process, you weren't any further than what you could literally see with your eyeballs, that would be disappointing. Disappointing. Christians, as believers, as people who are born again, we're meant to walk, advancing in our spiritual life, maturing, walking in victory over sins, advancing in the kingdom of God. But in order to do all that, we have to come to some sort of understanding of what Jesus actually did for us. It has to begin to make sense for us. The lights have to turn on. Our eyes have to be open. We have to remove the glasses because at one stage of my life, I also had glasses that were slightly tinted. And everything in my life began to look a certain way. And it wasn't until they were revealed to me that I was actually wearing the glasses and that I could actually learn to remove them, that I could actually begin to walk in the future hope that has for me. A child must learn to walk. And they must learn to overcome many difficulties. If you watch a child learn to walk, it's the most interesting process because fear does not bind them. They fall down and they get back up. They fall down and they get back up. They might fall down a hundred times before they learn how to walk ten steps. But it's that concept, that desire to actually w- learn how to walk because they see everybody else learn how to walk. If you put a child with people who can't walk, that child will have no desire to learn how to walk. But if you put that child surrounded by people who can walk and function and learn to, uh, and speak English, that's what their desire will be. I want to be part of this. I want, to be, I want to understand this. I want to walk. But the child, doesn't matter how many times they fall, they will get back up. They will get back up and they will get back up. But sometimes in our lives, we don't do the same thing. We fall down and we say down. But as Christians, as believers, as people who are born again, we're supposed to walk in the light. That means there are going to be times when we fall down. That means there are going to be hardships. That means there are going to be difficulties. And just because I am a Christian, a believer, doesn't mean I am spared from them. It just means that I have a direction to walk in. It means that I have someone there who's there to comfort me and to guide me and to pick me up. It also means that if I have my tribe around me, they're there to support me in my difficulties. There's a sense of humility within people who are born again. Understanding who their God is, but understanding what He did for us. See, God is so perfect, He's so whole, He's so complete, and He's referred to as being holy, which is a a difficult concept for us to grasp. Because in our lifetime, in in our existence, in the world that surrounds us, we don't ever see anything that is perfect. Nothing, nothing is perfect except Him. And so when something comes along in our path that is perfect, that is whole, that is complete, it's, we struggle with this concept of what it means to us. But this whole and this complete and this perfect God wanted so desperately to be in right relationship with us. Not just relationship, He wanted to be in right relationship, which means we are both in the right position. We're not in a position of offence, we're not in a position of hurt, but we're in a position where we can both receive and both give to each other. And God so wanted to be in this position, that's why He sent His Son. Because something so perfect can't dwell with something that is not. And so He sent His Son, who was perfect, who did no wrong on this earth, who spent 33 and a half years, give or take, on this earth, Living out exactly how we are supposed to live. And he set the example for us. He set the model for us. He set exactly how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to say. And then he died for us. And the reason why he died for us is because the only punishment that was going to be worthy enough for our sins, our wrongdoings, was going to be death. And so Jesus died for our place And even though he died for our place, we still have to come to the point where we receive his actions for mine. We have to still come to that place of understanding what he did for me. That he died and he rose again so that I could be in right relationship with God. It's not about me being perfect because I'm not. It's not about me being worthy because I am not. I am not nor will I ever be worthy of his actions nor will I ever be worthy of being in right relationship with God. But it's by grace and by mercy that he extends the hand to me and says, I want you to walk with me because I love you. And it's not a love that we commonly understand, but it is an unconditional love. It's not a love that says, oh, you know what? I accept you totally wholly, including all your bad choices. It is a love that says, I love you regardless, but I'm going to help you Fix those issues. I'm going to fix those things in you, if you let me. Because that's what sin does. Sin separates us. When we fall into sin, when we act out of sin, what happens is shame and condemnation comes upon us and we walk in this place of not understanding our right position or right relationship with God. See, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He doesn't need to re-die for you every single week. He already did it. Sin is not simply an outward disobedience. Sin is also an inner rebellion or desire. When I sin, when I fall short of the mark, like we all do, I need to be repositioned. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things pass away, and behold, the new things have come. Receiving the new nature from the Father does not mean or does not eliminate the old nature. The old nature, with its origins in our physical birth, fight with our new nature. We receive the new nature at the point of being born again, but we still have this old nature that is in conflict. The old ways of doing things. And no amount of self discipline, no set of man made rules, no amount of regulations can control this old nature. You cannot eliminate it. But God, in His ultimate wisdom, wisdom, comes alongside us and He presents to us His Holy Spirit and says, I know that there is a lag. But I also understand that there is an ability for you to walk in my ways. And it's the Holy Spirit working within us that enables us to put to death our old ways, our old nature. And produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the new nature. Just like a fruit tree produces fruit, hopefully. When the soil is correct, when the plant is healthy, when it's sitting in front of the sun, when it has enough water and nutrients, it produces fruit. And just like I am, the same thing. I need to be planted, but I also need to receive the things that I need. And I need someone to guide and govern me. I need someone to give me direction. I need someone to come along and prune me in the right seasons of my life so I can produce good fruit. I need the Holy Spirit to work in me to actually be my nourishment, to guide and direct me and say, hey, we're not doing this. We need to do this. This is wrong. In 1 John 1, 5 to 10, this is the message where we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. This is John the disciple. And in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. God is absolutely holy. He is absolutely righteous. But he is also God. He has no beginning and he has no end. And if you ask me how he's created, I'll tell you if he's created, then he's not God. If you ask me all the the science questions of how did this happen and this happened, I can answer most of them. If you ask me how the world happened, I can tell you it happened in a Big Bang. God said, bang. I can prove the Big Bang theory just by science. But this Bible, and I know people have conjecture over it, historically is one of the most accurate books ever written. They can show and they can prove every historical time place in actual history. They can say, hey, the the flood actually existed. They can tell you that this happened. There's a mountain called Mount Sinai and the top of it is black. Because when God was talking with Moses on Mount Sinai. There was a fire around the top of it. It's still scorched. They can show you that in the Red Sea, there are chariots in the mud of when the Egyptians gave pursuit of the Israelites and God closed the water over them. Historically, there are so many different accounts of what happened. History tells us that Jesus was actually a real person. They might deny who exactly he was, but there are so many accounts of different things that happen in the Bible. There are so many different people that have gone to prove the Bible incorrect and yet been turned to it. There are so many different things happen, but you can't deny what's happened in my life. Because I can tell you where I was at one point in my life and I can tell you where I am at this point in time and I can tell you hopefully where I will be later down the track. And the transition between A to B is huge. And it's only because of the work of the Holy Spirit doing in me or working in me because of the cross of the Calvary the cross, the cross of what Jesus did for us that I can stand here before you and testify and say this is 100% true. I don't make this up to form a business because this is not a business you would choose. This is something you're called to. God said to me, I heard him, this is what I have for you. But in order for us to be in fellowship with a God that is so holy, so perfect, we have to be what's called redeemed. We have to go through that that price Someone has to pay a price for what we've done. If you commit a crime, there's a consequence. If you go take someone's life and you get caught, you will go to jail. In some other countries, you will not survive that. There is always a consequence to every choice we make. And just like the choices I have made, there have been consequences. But the grace of God... To send his son Jesus Christ to be the price for us, goes, I will wipe some of those consequences. And those consequences that he's wiped are eternal death, separation from an almighty God. And it can seem like the most ungracious thing, it can seem like the most unloving thing. How can a loving God allow someone to go through difficulties? Because we have this thing called free choice. Each and every one of us has the ability to choose life. We can make our own choices. I can make good choices and I can make bad choices. And there are going to be consequences to both, good or bad. And because I get free choice and you get free choice and the seven other billion people on this planet get free choice, we can see where the world has ended up. Because most of those free choices have been a choice without God. There have been a choice in the wrong direction. There have been a choice without the leading of the Holy Spirit. There have been a choice that says, I don't want God. What we have today is a product of choices without God. But this book has so many different stories are where God was working with man. And you can read the stories where God interacts with man and man listens to God and all the good things that take place. You can argue with me all you want on different things and that's okay because we can, we can always agree to disagree. We don't always have to agree on everything. But God's forgiveness of our sins, of our bad choices, of our actions is based solely on the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus, His sacrifice, His death, that grants me or covers my wrongdoings. He forgives my choices. He forgives my sins. And there are two different... You can put sin into two different categories. Or you can put forgiveness, I should say. You can put forgiveness into two different categories. There is forgiveness called the parental forgiveness, forgiveness, and there is judicial forgiveness. And God grants both. Judici- Ugh, I say that word. Judicial forgiveness is the forgiveness from the penalty of sin, which we receive when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's granted by God acting as our judge and Jesus as our mediator or lawyer. And then there is parental forgiveness. And parental forgiveness comes from the Heavenly Father. You only receive judicial forgiveness once, because that's all you never need to receive. You only need to receive it once, and once you have received it, boom, you are forgiven, and you are part of the family of God. Then there is parental forgiveness, which is obtained by confessing our sins to Him, releasing them. And like I said, you only need judicial forgiveness once. But the grace that He shares to us, the grace that He extends to us, the grace and mercy that we walk in, we walk in a parental forgiveness. That means I go to my Heavenly Father, I repent for my sins and my wrongdoings, and He forgives me. I get to experience His grace and mercy. I get to experience His love for me. But even yet... He can still love each and every one of us, regardless of our position with him, regardless of if we are in right relationship with him. But all those years ago, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for us. And it may not mean anything to you, or it may mean something to you. Maybe it doesn't mean anything yet to you. But Jesus died for us because he loved us. It's because of the Father's love for His children, for His creation, that He made a way so we could be in right relationship. But that right relationship has to be choice. You have to choose it. You have to want it. You have to desire it. You have to want to be in right relationship with your God. Now there are promises to come that come with that right relationship, just like every relationship. My kids have benefits because they are my kids. They walk in my family name, they walk in my home, they walk as my children. Because of that, they have benefits. Some of the other kids that I don't know that live around here don't have the same benefits as my children. And it's only because I am their parent that we are in right relationship as a father and a son or a father and a daughter that they can have that experience. That they can experience the many blessings that come from us that experience the many lessons, the teaching and the training, and the development as human beings. It's because of that relationship. Everything in this earth is surrounded or linked back to relationship. How we deal with relationship, what we do with relationship, the relationships we have, the connections we have, the networking we have. Relationships get broken down, they get attacked. And just like my lemon tree, or my son's lemon tree that I have, taken ownership of because I look after it. It needs the right nourishment. It needs to be in the right position. It needs to be watered. It needs to be fed. It needs to be looked after. And the the right seasons, it also needs to be clipped back. And the only way that that tree can produce in its fullness of its purpose is be in the right position. The right position of relationship with someone who cares and looks after it. The right person to to maintain it, the right person to look after the bugs or get rid of the bugs that come along. Someone to look after it. Otherwise, that tree may not make it. It may go through some harsh seasons. But we are like that tree. We need nourishment. We need another citrus tree to be with us. We need relationships. Because it's the cross-pollination, it's the connections that actually develop our ability to make fruit. It's getting those right nutrients. It's being watered. It's being looked after. That actually produces fruit in our lives. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're far from Him, maybe this is a weird concept to you. If you want to get to know God, if you want to be in right relationship with Him, if you want to experience what I'm talking about, then I invite you to come and talk to me at the end of the service. I will be down the front, down next to this sign. And I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to stand with you. I'd love to talk to you about some more. If you have questions, I'll be down here. You can ask me any questions you want. We're going to end the service. We've got morning tea and there's tea and coffee. We invite you to stay, to chat, to talk. Get to know someone. Maybe get someone you don't know. Talk with someone. There's lots of kids. The kids will play around. This is a safe area. Just want to let you know. It's pretty much fenced off besides that fenced area. Um, But we have stuff for the kids as well. Before I came to that point of knowing who my Heavenly Father was, I was making choices based on myself. They were choices made on a moment. They were choices that I thought were right that ended up with really bad consequences. They were choices that didn't lead me in a prosperous journey. And it's only until I came to that point of understanding that, hey, there is something more for me. There is something more in this life than just existing. Because if we're just here to exist, that blows. Life is so much more than just existing. Life is about understanding your Heavenly Father's relationship with you. Life is about walking in that, walking it out. Life is more than just a few minutes. It's more than 80 years. But if you don't know Him, if you want to get to know Him, then I'll be down the front. But we're going to pray. We're going to close the meeting. Get to know James and Talia and their two children, Coda and River. Get to know their family and their friends who are here today that we are so blessed to have. Get to meet the other people in our church. We pray that you have a great week, that you uh, are refreshed, that you enjoy the rest of your weekend, that your kids enjoy their school holidays, and, and that you get... Plenty of sleep. (laughs) But we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the many people that are here. I thank you for the spirit that they have brought. I thank you for opportunities, and I thank you for River and, and Coda, James and Talia and their family. Father, we speak a blessing upon them like we already have, but we just speak increase upon them. Guide them and direct them in all that they have. Father, we speak your anointing upon each person. We speak safety. We speak covering the hedge of protection. We speak great weeks. We speak open doors. We speak favour. We speak relaxation. We speak peace. We speak your mighty touch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.